Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Owen Jones. Welcome to the podcast. Now, the Super League fiasco. What does it tell us about capitalism? Does this struggle show that football can be reclaimed? What's happened to football over the last generation? And if this victory can be scored, then why not apply it elsewhere where the role of capitalism is equally pernicious? Now, I talked about this with Tribune editor Ronan Burtonshaw. Really interesting chat about what's happened, what's happened, and what could happen. Uh, Do support us on Patreon uh, and the support function. Leave us a review and a five-star if you want to help other people listen to it. And with that, here's Ronan. So football's long been embedded in working-class communities. Manchester United was founded by railway men. And, you know, if you go back to the 50s, not to glamorise by any stretch that time... The maximum salary for players was 14 quid a week during the season. It wasn't very much above the average manual wage. And at the Trade Union Congress, one footballer spoke of the conditions of the professional footballers' employment being akin to slavery. So things have definitely gone from one extreme to the other. So what what happened? How did football, which was so drenched in, you know, in, in the ethos of working class life in this country and other countries, what happened to it over a long period of time uh, in in Britain and elsewhere? Sure. I think you have to see football as um, part of broader social trends. Uh, and obviously, there's a particular story that's going to be told now, and it's accurate. There's a lot to it, which is the, the commercialization that runs from the 90s onwards, the arrival of the Premier League on the scene, which itself is a breakaway league from the English Football League. Uh, and the idea behind the Premier League was that English football had this great commercial uh, potential and possibility that if you aligned it with the power of broadcast television and the money of Rupert Murdoch um, with the elite clubs could create a product that would be better sold um, to bigger audiences and of course that's something that on its own terms uh clearly worked but in doing so changed the nature of the game but it isn't just in England you you had in that period the development of the um, the Champions League which was changing the old European Cup format and, and that in itself also you can see some of the seeds of what later came in the European Super League discussions of the past few days and um, where you had elite clubs who were getting into the Champions League not because they were champions but because really they were you know the biggest clubs um, in, in the biggest leagues and so you ended up with three and four teams from the bigger league competitions getting in while actually uh, quite a lot of champion clubs from other parts of European football were not able to get in or given two and three and four rounds of qualifying before they got in. And this included even teams like, say, um, Red Star Belgrade or Stowa Bucharest who had won the, champ- uh, the European Cup 
uh, as it was relatively uh, relatively recently. Uh, and you also had the changing of ownership, right? And the arriving the arrival in of um, of these different uh, super uh, wealthy interests um, in the early two uh, thousands uh, in particular. Um, and in recent days, we've been talking about uh, and putting emphasis on uh, the American tycoons who were key factors in the development of the plans for the European Super League, but they were preceded by the arrival of, of Roman Abramovich's money into Chelsea and the arrival of the uh, the oil sheiks and, 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 and so on. And this has been part more generally of a of a hollowing out of the game. Um, and, the, you know, when we talk about uh, what's happening in football more generally now, um, it isn't just the case that the problem is this few set of billionaire owners uh, who've gone off and made a plan for European Super League. The problems run very, very deep. There is a rot in the game. Uh, ticket prices are pricing out the working class communities that, that built uh, the game in the first instance. That's part of a gentrification more generally uh, of football. And um, these mega clubs are building in many cases is uh, stadiums um, that are contributing to the gentrification of the whole communities that initially housed the, 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 the clubs and that allowed them to develop. And the example of Tottenham's new stadium is a, is a really strong one in that case. Um, and these new stadiums and the new outline and design of stadiums have also created a kind of sterile atmosphere. It's a sterile corporate atmosphere inside the grounds, which is much less concerned for fan culture, which is much, much less concerned for um, the things that were actually uh, the most important part of developing the product of football, which was then sold um, uh, by these uh, super, super wealthy interests. Um, and at the same time, as you've seen the, the development of the plans, obviously, in the background for the European. Super League um, with, with teams like Manchester United at the at the forefront and the Glazers, you have institutions in their own backyard like Bury and Bolton and so forth. Um, you know, going Bury going to the wall, Bolton very nearly going to the wall, um, and grassroots football in general being in this in this state of crisis. Um, my my take on what you know ha- has been so resonant about the um, European Super League is actually that. Uh, the reason why you got such an eruption over it, because we we're just talking about the commercialization. It's been going on for a very, very long time. It's nothing new, but this particular plan produced an eruption from, from fans. And why did it do that? For me, I think it's, it's a, it's a question of uh, the European Super League being a parable for what's happening in the economy more generally. And this was hit on by um, Marcelo Bielsa, the, the Leeds United manager, after the Liverpool game the other day, when he said that the, the logic in the world at the moment, and football is not outside of this, is that the rich get richer at the expense of the poor and then demand more privileges. And I think that a lot of people um, were looking at this and seeing a story that they see uh, in their day-to-day lives. They were seeing a small group of uh, billionaires uh, who no longer wanted to play by the rules of uh, society more generally, want to create a little league uh, a system for themselves, want to take the ball and go home. And uh, and that you know seemed very much like um, the experience people have more generally of living in uh, the society and working in the economy today. So... I mean, the Super League, obviously, I mean, I've got a pint of milk in my fridge, which has lived longer than the Super League itself. What do you think? I mean, it's quite spectacular just how quickly it collapsed. What lessons do you think there are from the way there was this big revolt? Uh, you know, it was obviously 
there was a pandemic going on. It wasn't like there was mass protests in the streets, but there was a very visible revolt. What What do you think the lessons are from that about, as you say, applying it to other parts of our life where this same logic is obviously dominant? I mean, the European Super League was was capitalism doing to football what it does to everything else. Taking something that was made by working people that served a real purpose in the community and turning it into a commodity that was only good for making profit for for super wealthy people. That is the process through which capitalism treats everything in the economy. And that is actually what can be seen in a kind of very distilled form in the in the European uh, Super League. Uh, and the logic of it more generally and, and of football capitalism, as I, as I would call it more generally, um, is something that I think, uh, you know, can tell us a lot in a very quick way about what's happening and what has happened uh, to our economy more broadly. When Florentino Perez went on Spanish television on, I think it was Monday, um, to talk about the European Super League and and to 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 give his um, you know defence of it, uh, he made a very very interesting case. Uh, anyone who is uh, tuned into politics over the last thirty years might recognise it. He said, "What we need to do." is get all of the money uh, at the top of the the pyramid and get more and more money at the top of the pyramid. And then it will trickle down to all of the other clubs. And because we'll grow the pie, all the other clubs at the bottom will get richer as well, which is like Milton Friedman on the pitch. Um, This was, you know, uh, trickle down economics uh, in, in in the football scene. And it isn't just there either um, where the kind of comparisons are clear. We talk about football as the global game, and it is the global game, and it's had a very big fan base for a long time around the world. Um, But actually, the globalization of uh, of football has been a different uh, phenomenon. So uh, much like globalization in the the modern economy, uh, rather than being something that has produced, uh, you know, greater uh, global equality um, or more accountability and more democracy or whatever else, um, it has, in many cases, disempowered uh, other parts of the world. You think of like the relative strength of a, a, a handful of European leagues now by comparison to the, the game, say, for instance, in, in Latin America. Uh, and you can see that the rise of these uh, uh, super corporations uh, has not actually been of great benefit to the football world in general, or even where you've developed um, you know, fan bases in, in Asia, in countries like China or Indonesia or, or India for the big Premier league teams i mean that's all well and good but actually the game in those countries hasn't been taken forward very far at all uh you know we're not talking about any of those having become powerhouses of the world game and producing great chinese or, or indian or indonesian um uh, players um and so what's actually happening and you can see it in the argument the european super league made they talked about legacy fans right and the um, the, the the idea that um, that these these fans um, of the clubs where where the clubs were based were not really what it was about anymore. It was now about this the global market, and it is very much like the process through which in globalization, um, you know, uh, it, it jobs were torn out of uh, of communities and people's sense of ownership and tradition and history with these things was was ripped up, and we created this free floating uh, international capitalism dominated by super corporations. 
politicians uh, who had very little connection to uh, to anyone um, in any particular place uh, in in the world. Um, and that really is, you know, uh, what the European Super League model is, uh, and it is it is like what we have seen with the development of of globalization over over so many decades. Obviously, you know, their aim was to create franchises. Um, and they want they wanted franchise football. But one of the the uh, lessons of that model from the United States uh, is that you know a franchise can be simply torn up and moved to any given place. Um, it, what happened, you know, anyone who's read Bernie Sanders' book will know the first like, quarter of it is um, is uh, uh, Bernie Sanders writing about what a traumatic experience it was that the Brooklyn Dodgers were torn out of the community that he had come from and grown up in. Um, but like you know, there's a lot of absurdities within these American games uh, because of it. Like the Los Angeles Lakers, we all talk about the you know one of the great um one of the great franchises in in u.s sports but like you know there are no lakes in los angeles that was the minneapolis lakers who were taken out of minneapolis and brought down to to, to los angeles and um, to the midst of, the, of, of a desert in california um and and you know that is the nature of the franchise model but these clubs that were involved in the european super league you know they're not franchises um, you touched on it earlier, Manchester United's origin um, in the in the workers' movement. Well, Woolwich Arsenal, that was founded by workers in a munitions factory. Um, Man City, another of these clubs, you know, it was founded by a, a church group that was trying to improve conditions for working class people in West Gordon. Uh, like these are clubs that were formed out of working class communities that have real roots. Um, I, I, we were interviewing the other day some people from the Newcastle United Supporters Trust, and uh, and they were, you know, one of the quotes they they gave us was, "No real football club in Britain was ever was ever founded to make someone a profit," and there's a great truth to that. Like these football clubs were built as as community assets, um, and they have been converted, distorted, um, into uh, things that are little more than than corporate interests. But they, they are not franchises that were magicked up by, you know, some extremely wealthy uh, figure from nothing. They come from real histories in the communities that sustain them over decades. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I mean, football before, as we talked about, before the Super League, was already a story of rapacious capitalism. But what the, so what are the demands now, now with this great victory, what are the demands with this open door, which can be pushed at, that football fans should be united around? And 
how can they be kind of extrapolated? The sort of demands people should be pushing for to transform the game, how can they be applied to other parts of the economy and the workplace? I think it's important that people understand uh, in football as in life that it's no longer possible um, to just be passive uh, and to expect things not to get vastly worse. Uh, when you've got this extraordinary concentration of power and wealth in the hands of a tiny number of people, and they make the decisions that shape society, then society is shaped in their interests, not in our interests. And unless we organize and fight back against that, then things are going to get worse in everything from your workplace to your housing, to your public services, to the things that you enjoy, the cultural sphere. And football isn't alone in this, you know, the development of the movie industry and whatever else in more recent uh, times, I think, has great amount of, uh, of parallels to it. Uh, and the lessons are more or less the same. Um, you know, what we need is grassroots movements to, to take back control of the things we care about in our lives. And in football, there are a number of you know, demands that can clearly be made. There are demands around um, uh, ticket pricing and there are demands around uh, having um, spaces and stadiums um, that are you know, built more for fans. And there's demands around not ripping people off on merchandising and on scheduling games and making sure people aren't being um, you know, dragged halfway across the country at nonsense o'clock and all of that. But there's a bigger and more fundamental question, which is ownership. And much like in the economy, uh, this is a teachable moment um, about the importance of ownership. When we look at the German model, for instance, and in, in the German uh, league, uh, all clubs are owned uh, 50% plus one by the fans. Uh, now, that is not a perfect model, and a lot of people can criticize it. You say Bayern Munich have won the Bundesliga the last nine years or whatever it is, and of course there are problems. But if you ask a German fan, would they swap their model for any other model around Europe, they would tell you no way. And the reason is that the experience of football in Germany is so much closer um, to the fan game. Uh, it's you know If we have this divide that's emerging in the game between fan football and corporate football, football that's built for the people who... Who, you know, come come from the communities that sustain these clubs, go to the games, you know, are invested in the clubs, uh, as as opposed to one that's just about the mar market and consumers. But the German model is so much more uh, a fan based one. The stadiums are set up for fans. The ticket prices are affordable. The scheduling, because of fan movements, um, is so much better uh, for fans of of those games. And so we need to be demanding that there is a real movement now uh, towards fan ownership of the game and that means fighting for change legislative change um, in britain what that would mean is changing some of the laws um, which govern cooperatives and so on at the moment because the 50 percent plus one rule in germany works partly because you don't have a situation where there are constant attempts at hostile takeovers because you've got great amount of rights if you have a 50 percent plus one company those rights don't exist in britain and so we would need legislative change to introduce the 50 plus one rule uh, over here. And we also need movements from below uh, to create 
fan funds uh, that are trying to buy into the to, to clubs uh, and that are there and ready for when inevitable crises uh, in, in this football model emerge down the road. We spoke to the, the Newcastle one, as I was saying the other day, and I think it's great that people up there are trying to organise um, and anyone who's a Newcastle fan watching this, I would encourage them to get involved with that to try to to create a fund that can buy into the club uh, in the case that it gets relegated and there's a, another crisis or whatever um, in the hope that you can begin to have some degree at least of fan accountability if not total ownership there you'll have fans at the at the table but there are other examples of fan-owned clubs in general um which are which are great and which people should look into what's happened with afc wimbledon where that club was stolen from the fans and dragged out to milton Keynes. a new club set up um in one of the most disgraceful episodes of 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 english football well those fans went off and they you know kept the legacy of that club and they fought from the lower leagues and now they're in the same league as 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 mk dons um there's the example of uh, of exeter city um and the, you know a fan owned club in the in the football league of fans who are uh, who who you know stepped in when that when that club was in a, a state of crisis um there's the example of fc united uh, who were born out of the protest movement against uh, the glazers up in uh, up in manchester which i think is a a, a very important um a, a experience for the game here and there's the example um of motherwell up in scotland which is the highest level really fan owned um uh fan owned club in in britain um and is you know and is doing very well and and people who who took the, uh, the initiative to try to change the the relationship that we have between um you know the fans and the club and between people who love the game and the game itself and this this is really a question of ownership with the clubs because it's a question of ownership over the game do you want this thing that is so important in your life that people have such deep and intimate connections with over generations passed down from grandfather to father and from you know mother to daughter and whatever through true uh, generations um uh, do you want this thing to be something where you're just a consumer or do you want it to be something more and if you want it to be something more well then you've got to get involved thanks for listening everyone I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, do support us on patreon.com forward slash owenjones84. Help us decide who we talk to, what we talk about, the documentaries we do, uh, and also on the supporter function, uh, which you can see in the description. And leave us five stars and a review. It just helps other people listen. Uh, and with that, thank you so much. Speak soon. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.